Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. We saw the procession of the bride with the 60 men with swords on their side. That was a picture of the protection of the bride. And now when we see the groom coming in his chariot, it is, I mean, gold and silver and it speaks to the provision, not just the protection. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Song of Songs. God, as the bridegroom, is a beautiful image of what your marriage relationship should look like. He valiantly protects his bride and is able to provide for her. Today, Pastor J.D. will encourage you to consider if you're truly ready to pursue your bride. As you're united as one, all that's yours is now hers, too. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Song of Songs, Chapter 3, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. So here comes the groom, verse 9. Of the wood of Lebanon, Solomon the king made himself a palanquin. What's that? A royal chariot. A royal carriage. Now, here's the description of it. Watch this, verse 10. He made its pillars of silver, its support of gold, its seat of purple. Purple is always a type of royalty. Its interior paved with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. Go forth, O daughters of Zion, and see King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day of the gladness of his heart. Okay, so the chapter ends this way. Here comes the groom, and it's pictured by way of King Solomon. And it is a picture that points to our King of Kings, and His coming in all of His glory. When He came the first time, He came to save the world. He will not come that way the second time. When He comes again, He comes as Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and every mouth is going to confess. Every knee is going to bow. Now there's a difference between confessing with the mouth and bowing of the knee, because when every knee bends and every tongue confesses Jesus is Lord, it's unto damnation. When we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead, we're not confessing with our mouths that Jesus is Lord unto damnation, we're confessing that Jesus is Lord unto salvation. But there is coming a day, and I have to say that this settles me, especially with everything that's happening in the world today, everything that's happening in this nation today. 
it settles my heart because I know that day is soon and very soon, even sooner than any of us could possibly imagine. I think of Psalm 73. Indulge me for just a moment. I, I think it's apropos. The psalmist in Psalm 73 is having this crisis of faith. I mean, he is just infuriated by how it is that the wicked seem to prosper at every turn. And here he is, the righteous. And it's the antithesis of the wicked. And he's so having such a crisis of faith that he, he even says that I wouldn't even talk to anybody because I didn't want to stumble my brethren. Because if I talk with them, they're going to pick up on, hey, uh, I'm really struggling with this. What are you struggling with, brother? I'm struggling with how it is that these wicked, 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 wicked people are getting away with it. I, and here I am, I'm walking in righteousness for what? I've cleansed my heart, my hands in vain. The wicked prosper, I suffer. What's up with that? I cannot reconcile that. that. That's not right. It doesn't make any sense to me. The wicked should be the one suffering, and the righteous should be the one prospering. That's how it should work. But it's not working like that. Now, thankfully, and this is true with really most all of the Psalms, especially the Psalms of David, I mean, you start off some of those Psalms. We studied through the book of Psalms. What a rich blessing that was. Oh, I so enjoyed it. I think you did too. So blessed by it. But David would start off, and I mean, it was just, oh my goodness. It was bad. It was really, really, really bad. I mean, it was just horrible. And he's, and he's you know, panning these words of despair, utter despair. And then by the time he gets to the end of the psalm, he's praising the Lord. It's like, what in the world? What, what, what happened between verse 1 and the last verse in that song? I mean, you started off like, woe is me, I'm in such despair. Oh, my soul. You know, <laughs> And then by the end of it, you're like, praise the Lord. Who is like unto you, O Lord? What, wait, 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 what am I missing here? What changed here? Because you started off this way, but you're ending this way. Oh, I'll tell you what happened. It's the same thing that happened to the psalmist in Psalm 73. He went into the sanctuary of the Lord, presence of the Lord. That's always a good place to go and be in the presence of the Lord. Psalm 1611 says, in your presence, O Lord, is found fullness of joy. So he goes into the sanctuary of the Lord, and when he's there, the Lord shows them their end. He's like, oh, never mind. Sorry I brought it up. My bad. What was I thinking? You weren't. Oh, and, and it's almost like he goes from envying, which he was, by his own admission, he's envying the prosperity of the wicked. He goes from envying them to feeling compassion for them, because there's coming a day when they will get <laughs> their due, 
when the judgment of God comes. Do you realize that the judgment of God is coming upon this world? It's coming. I know it's not a popular thing to talk about, but it's true. God's judgment is coming. And I truly believe it sooner than any of us could possibly imagine. I was thinking about the Israelites in Egypt. Here they are enslaved as slaves in Egypt. And you have to ask yourself the question, um, why did God allow all of those plagues to come upon Egypt? Well, certainly it was His judgment on Egypt. And by the way, Egypt is a type of the world. But have you ever thought of it like this? Not only were the plagues God's judgment on Egypt slash the world, but it was for the purpose of the Israelites wanting to get out of Egypt. So here's the question. I wonder how many plagues it took for the Israelites to want to leave. And, and <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but they didn't want to leave even after the 10th plague. I'm ready to go after plague number two. You know why? Because it was the plague of the frogs. God's got my attention. Yeah, yeah not the frogs. <laughs> no, God's got my... Yeah. <laughs> okay, I get it now, Lord. I'm okay, I'm, I'm ready to go. Plague number two. I wonder how many, even after the 10th plague, still really didn't want to leave. And I think it's evidence throughout the exodus, with all of those times when the Israelites would reminisce, they had selective memory, oh, the buffet in Egypt, the leeks, the onions. What? Oh, they're murmuring and complaining about the manna. Oh, I wish we were back in Egypt. Really? As one said, not only did God have to get the Israelites out of Egypt, He had to get the Egypt out of the Israelites. And if Egypt is a type of the world, then I think you can kind of fill in the blanks. He needs to get us out of the world, but He also needs to get the world out of us. We're in the world, not of the world. How many plagues is it going to take? It's that textbook case of... I, for lack of a better illustration, killing two birds with one stone. The judgment on Egypt, the world, and <laughs> letting go of the world on the part of the Israelites to want to get out. The judgment comes down, but it was also to have the Israelites want to get out. Because even though they were slaves, do you think they would have wanted to leave had it not been for the plagues? Oh, it's not that bad. You know, I, st I still get three squares. Yeah. Get a day off every 30 years. I mean, hey, not bad. Let's make the personal application to our own lives. The judgment of God is coming upon this world, but so too is Jesus coming to take us out of this world. Do we want to go? Do we long? for Him? I mean, I know that that might seem rhetorical, 
But can we just talk about it for a little bit? Back to that now. Yeah, not now, Lord. Not now, Lord. Okay. Here comes another plague. Okay, now, Lord, now, Lord, now. Right? Isn't that how it works? I think if we're honest with ourselves, when things are going well, it's kind of like, oh, Lord, you know, Maranatha, no hurry. Isn't it true that when things are not going well, it's like, oh, Lord, <laughs> we want the Lord to come back yesterday. Come on. You see, could it be, let me, let me just ask you this question. Could it be that the Lord knows that? Go figure. He knows everything. And the Lord knows that the only way we'll ever want to leave this world is if He makes it uncomfortable in this world. I'm there, man. <laughs> I'm the plague of the masks, that alone, that alone, right there. You want to leave yet? I was ready to go back in, you know, kind of like my, my wife and I, we celebrated our 32nd wedding anniversary yesterday. We're just reminiscing and, you know, just, ah, oh, we've had such a, God has just blessed us. We've had such a blessed life. We've had our, you know, painful hardships as, you know, anyone else has. We were just kind of reminiscing about all of our years together, 32 years together. Yeah. Thank you. Wow. Thank you so Thank you. Thank you. And I'll never forget when, you know, we were, we were talking, we, we, we courted for two years. I know courtship is a very foreign word to young people, but for two years we courted before we got married. And during that time, oh man, I mean, we were counting down the days. I, I, I had a house, I owned a house, this is, you know, back in, this is Spokane, Washington, back in the, uh, 80s, you know, you, for, you couldn't, you couldn't buy a toilet, an outhouse in Hawaii for what I paid for that house. But anyway, so, uh, and, and, uh, I had her move in with my parents until we got married. And I'm, I had my calendar. This is before Google Calendar. And I, I literally X'd off the days until we got married. And I even, oh, something like, oh, such a romantic. Yeah, just talk to my wife. She'll set you straight. It's not like that anymore. <laughs> but I mean, I marked the days off on the calendar. And I remember, like it was yesterday, I would say, okay, Lord, because I've always lived my Christian life like the Lord could come back at any time. And I would, I would say, okay, Lord, please don't come back until after we get married. <laughs> come on, you did that too. And then after we got married, Lord, come quickly. <laughs> we were reminiscing. She, apparently, she did the same thing. I'm like, you did? Yeah. That bad? Yeah probably worse. Same thing with kids. You know, we, I shared last week, we couldn't have children. Ten years. Our firstborn son, an absolute miracle. In fact, I made a vow to God that if he would give me a son, I would sell my business, and I would serve him all the days of my life. And he gave me a son, and I sold my business, and I've been serving him ever since, my hands to the plow, never looking back. 
But I made a vow that if God would give me a son, I would serve. And I'm, I'm fully prepared. You know, that's a dangerous prayer, right? Lord, I will serve you all the days of my life. And what's the first thought? Let's be honest. What's the first thought that comes to mind when you say, Lord, here am I. <laughs> Send me like Isaiah did. <laughs> and you're thinking, it's going to be Zimbabwe. I know it's going to be some, you know, third world. But no, he, he called me to Hawaii. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Send me. You know, um, when I started my first church in uh, Idaho uh, in 1998. My son was born in 1998. I sold the business, started the church in 1999. I started a Bible study before. And I, I, I planted the church, pastored the church in about 2002-ish, 2003. I met with my board and I said, guys, I think the Lord is calling me to move to Hawaii and start a church on Oahu. And I had a board member, true story. He's with the Lord now, great guy. He, he says, Pastor J.D., I, with all due respect, uh, I think you heard it wrong. Uh, the Lord's not calling you to Oahu. He's calling you to Ohio. You spelled it wrong. Uh, to which I responded, get thee behind me, Satan. And so anyway, the rest is history, as they say. But I digress. <laughs> I so long for that wedding day when we could be together. Now think about this. What's it like for him? What's it like for our bridegroom? Do you imagine him, as it were, for purpose of illustration, marking the days off on the calendar of eternity, longing for that day when that trumpet sounds and he can come and snatch away his bride and take her to that place that he's prepared for her in his father's house. And if it were not so, he would not have said that he would and that he's coming back. You know, whenever we partake together of communion, which we do now on the first Thursday of each month, we're in Luke 22, and two times Jesus says, I eagerly await, I fervently desire to partake with you when this finds its fulfillment in my kingdom. You know what he's referring to, right? The wedding feast, the wedding supper of the Lamb. In that day, in that custom, at that time, the bridegroom, nobody knew the day or the hour, which really was a problem when it came to wedding invitations. Because, you know, hey, we're getting married, RSVP, when? Don't know. Day? Don't know. Hour? Don't know. Just be ready. That's what it was like. So the bridegroom would come as a thief in the night, and he would snatch away his bride, and he would take her to that place that he had prepared for her, in his father's house, the bridegrooms would build this room addition on their father's house. It was a bridal chamber to consummate and celebrate their wedding, their marriage. And get this, they would celebrate for a period of seven, the number of completion, a type of the seven-year tribulation. The bride is 
ensconced within this bridal chamber. She doesn't come out until the seven days slash seven years are complete. So she's in that bridal chamber, and then on the seventh day, after that seven period, she emerges from the bridal chamber, and they have this huge wedding feast. Okay, right out of the, I mean, shoot here. Guys, think about this. There's going to be food in heaven. For the women, listen, no calories, no fat, no nothing, man. You can eat to your heart's content. We're going to sit with him, his bride by his side, at the wedding feast. I do it no justice. I did my best. I trust the Holy Spirit will do the rest. But chapter 3 is this beautiful, by the way, next week, spoiler alert for those of you that read ahead to stay ahead, they're going to consummate the marriage. You have to come now, because if you don't come after I said that, we're going to know why. But oh, the, the picture, the, oh, this, this is what awaits us. This is what awaits us. Our wedding day, that great and final day. One last thing, and we'll close. There's some practical application here that I think I would be grossly remiss if I didn't draw your attention to as it relates to the marriage relationship. Now, we saw the procession of the bride with the 60 men with swords on their side. That was a picture of the protection of the bride. And now when we see the groom coming in his chariot, it is, I mean, gold and silver, and it speaks to the provision, not just the protection. So what's your point? What's the application? Well, it has application for young grooms-to-be. You are the one who protects your bride, and you are the one who provides for your bride. That's what this pictures. I think that there are many problems that could be avoided if the man was a man (laughs) and able to provide before he gets married. Because when we see it throughout Scripture, that the man is to be the provider, and the one who doesn't provide for his own family is worse than an unbeliever. That's pretty strong. But that's the picture that's painted here. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. We hope you continue to be encouraged as we learn from Song of Songs together. One of the greatest lessons from this book is that love is a gift. It's meant to be passionate, and it's meant to help us grow more in love with the Lord. We encourage you to read through Song of Songs to see the parallels in the relationship depicted and the love that God has for you. Though it may feel uncomfortable at first, love is not something to be embarrassed by. If you'd like to hear more of Pastor J.D.'s teachings in this series, you'll be able to find them at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Maybe as you've been listening today, you've become aware that you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. 
You may already read the Bible and maybe you even attend a church. But have you surrendered your life to Christ? If not, today's the day to make that change. If you're not sure where to start, please visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com right now and find the ABCs of Salvation under the Resources tab. This will give you step-by-step instructions and will answer questions you might have about why this is important. We also encourage you to be part of a church. If you're ever in the Kaneohe area, we would love to have you join our church family. Come visit Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on Sundays and Thursdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find out more at our website. Again, that's InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Thanks for joining us for In Spirit and Truth. Holy me true to you.